welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the fourth episode of the Breaking the Rock podcast here for Limestone University Athletics. I'm Michael Sanders, coordinator of social and digital media, as well as pool operator here at Limestone University. Alongside, as always, co-host Jordan Perry, coordinator of media relations. How are we doing today, Jordan? Doing great, Mikey. Uh, once again, we got another great guest. You know, we're, we've knocked out, I think, three of these so far, um, and I'm excited for this one that we have coming up today. Yeah, you know, we, we've talked a little bit about kind of our, our clientele that we're wanting to get on to this podcast. We're, we're going through our student-athletes. We're trying to be diverse with it. And we decided this time to go a little geographically diverse. You know, we have you from the Northeast. Vermont, originally. shout out. You know, we live here in the Southeast. I was born in the Midwest. You went to school in the Southwest. We had somebody from California last week. But we're going to move up into the Pacific Northwest this time. So we're, we've got almost the entire U.S. now. Of course, we'll get some international student athletes coming on in coming weeks. But really wanted to get to that geographical diversity here. And so we're bringing on this episode. Um, what we're a uh, super senior here. Her first year actually at Limestone. Um, a woman's wrestler. And uh, we, we brought her on because we've been doing the Saints Q&A section on our website recently at GoLimestoneSaints.com. And she filled out one of these bio questionnaires. And it was probably the most descriptive one that we've had so far. It was thorough. It was detailed. I was reading it, and my jaw probably dropped a few times. There was so much that I was like, wow, we have a lot of stuff that we could talk about. Exactly. And so we figured she'd be a perfect one to bring on because she's passionate and she's got a lot of things that she likes to talk about and a lot of interesting things about her. Um, so we'll bring her on now. First year here at Limestone, Eve Barrington. Eve, how are you doing today? Hello, I'm doing so good. How are you guys? Fantastic. We uh, thank you for joining us here today and uh, we'll jump right in. Of course, the whole purpose of this podcast is to get to know our student athletes a little bit better, um, getting to get to know you off the mat. Um, obviously you have a lot of things that you're passionate about, but let's kind of back up all the way, uh, you know, it seems like ages ago almost and into kind of your childhood and what kind of got you into sports kind of in the beginning. Whoa. Um, well, first of all, thank you for having me. I'm so excited to represent West coast here at Limestone. Um, so thinking back to being a kid, I did grow up in the Pacific Northwest and my folks were moving around a lot. So I spent my time in my imagination and a lot of that had to do with, uh, creating, uh, and finding outlets, right? So I got into music, but I also was outside until the sunset and after the sunset every day playing basketball. Um, building bow and arrows in the woods behind the house and um, just kind of running around, like meeting all the neighborhood kids. We played cops and robbers. You know, we I was jump roping. I was playing tetherball, but lots of hooping, I think. That was the most social activity. You can kind of get to know all sorts of people at that point. So I'd say, like, my sporting career definitely started with basketball or soccer. Absolutely. And we looked through your, your bio questionnaire a little bit as well. And it, it, you know, you did do soccer and basketball in high school, but you were also a, a gymnast in high school. Right. And I didn't even start gymnastics until I was a junior. Um, I had sort of outgrown the political environment in those group sports in basketball and soccer. And when there was certain things I didn't agree with via decisions that the coaching staff made, um, or sort of the social environment on the team. I just went with a solo sport. So I tried out the balance beam for my first time in my junior year and then ended up on varsity by the end of the year. 
Um, so the next year I continued with gymnastics and that was a little easier for me because I was able to explore sports in a solo setting. Yeah, I think that's something I can speak to as well. I mean, I was a, a football and baseball player in my early years and, you know, I wasn't great at team sports either. And I ended up choosing swimming as my main sport, which is an, a rather individualized sport. But of course, there are some team aspects to it, um, just like gymnastics. You know, you've got your one event that you're good at, whether it be beam, rings, floor exercise, anything like that. Um, but you obviously have the team aspect as well. But you're, there's a little more pressure on yourself within your own individual event. Um, right. You know, you mentioned that that was your first time with gymnastics. And we're going to jump ahead really far now to really you've only been wrestling for a couple years. And let's talk about your first ever wrestling match. And how did you get there? Because gymnastics... You know, it's one thing. Then there's wrestling. Right. From what A to B, how'd you get there? I would say that was late night kung fu movies. And I was in high school when I started gymnastics. And um, before I ended up at Limestone, I was at Oregon State University. That was fresh out of high school. I actually did the running start program in the Northwest. So I was going to college two years early. Um, so by the time I arrived in college, I was already a junior. And so... Um, I was joining up with these clubs. I wasn't preoccupied with the freshman sort of experience, so I was already jumping into clubs. Um, I got involved with Wushu, and Wushu Club was a lot of acrobatic elements and kind of tied in like kung fu um, with also you, you have to practice your flexibility and you're learning how to do these butterfly kicks and stuff that, stuff that you've only ever seen in movies. Um, but I just got this feeling of, magic and excitement inside of me like human beings can do this stuff I mean obviously in those movies a lot of it's like ropes and you know special effects and stuff but a lot of it's not um, so once I started diving into that deep history from China and embracing Shaolin arts that really opened up my perspective of not only what the body is capable of mimicking, um, but then in a more, you know, playful, interactive, um, improvisational sense, that definitely led me to grappling and the combative arts. And so moving into wrestling and the combative arts, like you were mentioning, uh, before we, we came on air, you had talked a little bit about jujitsu and a little bit of that that you worked into before actually getting into the first wrestling match that you had. Um, but obviously we do want to focus a little bit more on your wrestling, but uh, what was the transition from kind of that grappling into wrestling and then really talk about that first match? The real kicker that pushed me into wrestling specifically, now I always wanted to wrestle, and I've said this before when I was growing up, but it just wasn't something that girls did in my household. You know, that wasn't allowed. So... Um, so I had this opportunity, a friend of mine from Los Angeles called up and asked if he could make a documentary about me. And at the time I was practicing jujitsu and I had never done a competition before. And so I called around to some of my friends and asked if anybody knew about a tournament that I could enter. And um, my friend Isaac Puma from San Diego, he's actually from Fresno, but living in San Diego at the time. He said, I don't know about jujitsu, but you can wrestle in the U.S. Open res wrestling tournament. And our team, Left Coast Wrestling, 
will sponsor you. So I thought about it for a couple of days and I just said, okay, why not? I guess, I guess sure. And so it just took off from there. And so you went up against a, a pretty hefty opponent in that first match, in your first ever wrestling match right. in your career as well. Talk right. about who you went up against and, and kind of what that experience was like. Right. Well, when you're brand new, they put you against the number one seed. That's how it works. Or if you're at the bottom of the rank, they put you against the top dog um, to kind of weed out, you know, the the weak, if you will. Um, so... I went against Mallory Velti, world team member, first. And she's a world champion, and um, I was expecting something of the sort, but I had actually studied her YouTube videos, you know, before I arrived at the match um, because I had about a month and a half to learn the art of wrestling before I jumped on stage, if you will. Um, and so the lineup comes on the screen and we see that I am paired with Mallory Velti and that was just a very nerve-wracking moment but also a great moment because when you're learning something new you really want to rub shoulders with the the greats you know you really want to put yourself in that situation where you have the chance to rise to that level of athleticism or skill or practice you know it's just a law of equilibrium how was what was your first thought? You knew who she was when you saw the matchup. You knew I who did. You were going against. I did, and I had seen her YouTube videos. You know, she had dreads at the time. She was one of my favorite wrestlers because you know who uh, who has hairstyle like that when you're weighing in. You know, and you you gotta be on top of your weight. A lot of these girls have like you know thinner s haircuts. Um, but I liked her style. She's definitely a lot shorter than I am. You know, I'm five nine. I think she's five three or five four. Um, she's a year younger than me, but almost the same birthday. Um, like these are the I I knew these details before I went in, um, and nobody there knew who I was. You know, they were all kind of hanging out in little pools, but then of course everyone has their headphones on and they're walking around looking like murderers. You know, just given that like deathly glare and whatnot. Um, but I was walking around in a bright red dress with a film crew, you know. And so <laughs> people people thought I was a YouTube star or some people were saying I was a Swiss fighter, you know. That no one had any idea who I was. And um, that obviously played to my advantage because little did they know, you know, I've never even wrestled before. Um, but here I am and I was definitely, I had my leather jacket on and I was putting putting on the show, you know. But at the same time, quaking in my boots for sure, you know. So what, what ended up being the result of that match? Oh, she took me down quick. I mean, she, I mean, like I said, I'm 5'9", so wrestling a 5'3 girl, all they're going to see is legs, right? She don't even see my face. She just sees my legs. So um, we did, she was scared as well because I was making eye contact and, you know, you don't really do that in a, in a match, but she was looking at me too, and there was this exchange of facial expressions. To me, in my head, it lasted a very long time. It felt like 10 minutes, but in actuality, it was about 60 seconds. Um, so a wrestling match for those non-wrestlers lasts for six minutes, and um, so we made it about 60 seconds, and she attacked my legs, picked me up, um, threw me on my back, and um, I went to my stomach, but she leg-laced my legs, and twirled me around four times and she got 10 points so she won that match um, because in this tournament if you best your opponent by 10 points then they win so um, 
we did that. We stood up and I knew it was over and whatnot. And I was still like, I think I blacked out, honestly. Like I kind of remember at first and we did some hand fighting and I grabbed her wrist and she yanked it and she grabbed me and then it was, you know, then it was over. So. Okay. So here you are in your first career match. Um, you're going against someone that you've admired and a world champion at that. Um, she took you down in 60 seconds in your first match. Like that's, you can expect that. Okay. But that 60 seconds was enough for you to realize I want to, I want more. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Or, um, give me another shot or like, you know, let me, let me go again. Yeah. Almost the, the sense of euphoria of the experience itself was really kind of what, what pushed you through that. Uh, you know, you talked about kind of making the facial expressions, which is interesting. Uh, one of the, our, our men's wrestlers, uh, I don't know if you ever have heard of DeAndre Johnson, who was our 2017 uh, 157 national champion for Division II. Uh, in his final match at the national championships, when he, he was called out first because he was the lower seed, and he stood in the middle of the mat and literally stared at the guy he was competing against, walk out from behind the stage, walk up onto the mat, walk to his corner, walk to the middle, just staring him down. No words exchanged, no nothing. And I, I looked at that, and I was watching it live, and I, I go back and I watch it every now and then, and I just am sitting there like, like, I know this kid, and I know that he's really, really nice, but if I walked up to that, <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm going to be a little intimidated. And I think right. you kind of had the same thing here, even though she was – what you thought maybe kind of much better than you. Yeah. You were, you were a little, she was a little intimidated of you just yes. because of that mindset you had. They didn't know who I was. And I was just, I looked comfortable, you know, I was just walking around like I've done this before. So, um, I think that was definitely a little bit of the exchange. It's on YouTube. Actually, for some reason that match isn't on YouTube. I've looked for it. Um, but it is in our documentary. It's called takedown. That was just in the Rhode Island international film festival. It's not public yet. Um, but you will be able to find it. Um, but that was definitely a magical moment and I was absolutely not hindered from continuing on. Um, I was just more excited to keep doing it. And that's not your only experience, uh, in front of cameras. Uh, you've got a few things that you've done off the mat in front of cameras as well. And Jordan, I think you've got uh, a little information on one of those. I mean, yeah, there are s there's so much to get into here, and we'll go into that later uh, with your music career. But, you know, you're used to being in front of the lights. Um, am I wrong, or did you have an American Idol audition that you once went through, you know, in front of stars like uh, Katy Perry, Luke Bryan, and Lionel Richie, per se? Oh, yeah, that did happen. And that was actually... That was 2018, and that was after, that was, I think, two months after the U.S. Open um, competition when I actually went to the, the in-person audition. I had made it past a certain number of rounds, and I got that um, blue room invitation. So uh, I went up to Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, where they were holding those auditions, and I did play in front of... Mr. Richie and uh, Miss Katy Perry and Luke Bryan. And uh, did did that not go very well for you? Did it go okay for you? What what ended up happening there? You know that was a very interesting experience. Um, I think the producers really wanted to know more about my story. You know they had me come three days early to the audition so they could shoot auxiliary footage and. Um, I talked about my, my saxophone and um, how music plays a role in my life and how athletics ties into all of that as well. 
and um, we really explored a lot on camera and just none of that footage was ever shown because by the time I got into the room with Katy Perry and um, Lionel Richie and Luke Bryan, my energy was just so gigantic. And I think on that show, they really want sort of undeveloped artists or, you know, they have potential, but they want to guide them in a certain direction. And I just went out and I was full on blast uh, partially because the producers were pumping me up, you know, I was thinking, well, if I really want to win this thing, which I did at the time, I should just stick to singing, you know, I should leave the sax at home. And that was my plan um, until I had met the producers. And I just, you know, maybe I having that moment at the U.S. Open, too, it just made me feel like, man, whatever I do, I just need to pour 100% of what I got into it instead of trying to like, oh, well, they'll like this part of me, so let me just push that other part of me, you know, away and they'll never know about it and whatnot. And then maybe I'll win the $150,000 Hollywood records contract or whatever. Um, but honestly, I it's a blessing. All of this is a blessing. It's, it's great that I didn't get that because, um, I wouldn't be here today. Um, you know, I, they keep you for 10 years or something to that effect and you can't release your own music or work with other artists and this is just a monumental time in my life where I'm expanding in every direction exponentially like faster than I can even keep up with and so but it was it was a great experience though you know I walked in and I played my song and they said wow clearly you're very talented but you're not what I want and I was shocked and I wanted to cry and I think I did pop a few tears out um, and I said no you're wrong Katy Perry you're wrong let me sit at that piano she's like okay fine you have 30 seconds then um, I went and played and she cried and she was like, oh, you should have done opened with that or whatever. And that just, she got up. I mean, she was asking me to teach her Kung Fu during my audition and ra was running at me and trying to pretend like she was attacking me. And then she ran out of the room by the end of the audition and it just no one knew what to do. Like they, I got the votes of, um, I got one vote saying no because Katy Perry wrote, walked out and then Luke Bryan actually to his credit put his hands up and he said I'm not voting I mean <laughs> I don't even know what to say to that yeah <laughs> I, I can't say I would have gotten any votes I can't sing to save my <laughs> life uh but interesting you brought up uh you know your music career obviously um you know I took some time the other day and was listening to some of your music that you've released out on YouTube uh EVB music of course is your uh your tag on there and that's what you like to go by EVB Correct. uh for your musical career and uh I was I was watching through. It's it's a very wide range of instruments that you know as well. It seems like you were, you know, doing a lot of producing, and then your saxophone was something I saw. Um, what uh, I think you were tenor sax, right? Tenor sax. See, look at that. My band stuff is coming nice. back. I played trumpet, so You're I don't pro. know all of that stuff. But <laughs> I, I can't play a woodwind to save my life. But well. um, I was a saxophone player back in the day. Oh, myself. you were a saxophone player. See, look what at that. One? All right. <laughs> Which one? Alto, tenor, Ty, yeah. alto. 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 Yeah. That would be the one. Thank you. <laughs> when, for whenever they go, whenever it's like, I don't know which one I played. No, you played an alto sax. That's what <laughs> yep. you played. Exactly. Middle school is yep. good time. <laughs> so take us to what, what really got you to learning how to, you know, do your own music, kind of produce it and, and play saxophone and all of this stuff? I mean, what a rich question. I'd say it started when I got a keyboard in, you know, maybe third grade. 
second or third grade and I was spending all my time alone and um, really trying to process the rich emotional world that, you know, I'm not allowed to show anyone else or as a kid, you really aren't allowed to show anyone else if you want to, you know, receive your daily doses of affection and whatnot as we all are conditioned to do. And so this became my outlet from an early age. And on that keyboard, there was a setting of eight different tracks and I would pick a different instrument for each track and just make these, you know, 30 minute symphonies in the third grade. And um, then I just turn the piano off and erase it all and say, okay, well, make another one tomorrow, you know? And so I think now that I'm 26, I'm putting out pieces finally that I'm like, okay, you know, I'm not just gonna erase it all. I'm gonna put things out. And of course we can't um, be perfectionists all the time. You just, you just gotta put stuff out and you can me- use it to measure your growth. Um, and that's what I'm doing. I think I'm on a path of growth and I will come into orbit with a specific medium, tenor sax, piano, whatever, and I will cling to it for a little bit. I'll get really grounded. I will participate in a, pr- a daily consistent practice routine, do a couple things with it, you know, da-da-da-da-da, I'm on American Idol, da-da-da-da-da, I'm traveling around the world. I'm putting out an album, whatever. And then I kind of let it go and I let that transformation process work through me. And it's, for instance, with the saxophone, you know, this is a lifelong passion that I see myself doing until my teeth fall out. But at the same time, you know, do I really need to die in history as the greatest tenor saxophone player that's ever lived? Absolutely not. You know, that I don't think we're in the evolutionary time zone of that um, and nor would I want to drop all the other things that I'm interested in to pursue that Um, and the same goes with wrestling it's like this is part of my evolution while I'm here I'm definitely giving 100% but like you know I'm not wrestling is not a longevity sport you're not going to do that until you're 80 years old you're going to it's going to turn into jujitsu and it's going to turn into qigong and whatnot and so um, as far as music you know I'm jumping on the opportunities where I'm in control of the production ultimately and I'm maintaining my independence. That doesn't mean that I won't be managed or, um, you know, have certain contracts from time to time. But um, I think all in all, it's just to serve my purpose of growth into what what I can be. So one music goal that I have for myself is to be the Danny Elfman of uh, soundtrack composing, but also saxophone Beyonce. So I do want to be, you know, at those high energy concerts, playing funk music and singing and, you know, bringing people together, elevating crowds and just being at that performance level, um, but not at any sacrifice of like, you know, living your daily life. You know, it's funny, like you mentioned earlier in another question that you wouldn't be here today without some of the experiences that you had, you know, like the American Idol one. Mm -hmm. But I don't really know that people realize the depth of your experiences. I don't think they realize you've been to Japan, Europe, Canada, Mexico, playing your music. Mm -hmm. You've lived in all over the U.S., right? New Orleans, Las Vegas. Mm -hmm. Then you end up in Gaffney at Limestone like your story is so Mm -hmm. it's so broad it's international just kind of like walk us through you know going through all those different places and 
the fact that it all led up to here yeah and your story there I think part of that's uh, what I just mentioned as far as making something really beautiful and elaborate and then letting it go and becoming unattached. So I used to have, uh, let's use Facebook for example, I used to have that 5,000 mark on my music page and I just actually recently got rid of it, you know, not because I'm a ashamed of what happened or anything like that. It's just that I know there's that the best is yet to come and I am not my achievements you know those things are making me who I am so in coming to Gaffney this was an opportunity that I have been waiting for and longing for for years and years and years like a transformative experience where I can be a college athlete I can't tell you how long I've wanted this I mean it must be maybe 10 years or so um, but you're right you know I'm walking around campus here and nobody has any idea who I am unless we talk a little bit but even so I would what am I supposed to do, you know, hand over the book of my life to people? No way. You know, I'm just a person like everybody else. And I think that that's key too, as well here, because I'm being pushed in ways um, by these younger people, athletes, intellectuals, um, that's really thrilling and exciting for me. And I enjoy the challenge, but my soul craves the challenge. Now, uh, one challenge you did have as well is not only coming to Gaffney, your story, but actually physically getting here to Gaffney. Right. When you left the Pacific Northwest and came here, you didn't come by what we would call conventional means, per se. No, I did not. Um, And I decided to come to Limestone probably around December or January. And I got my letter and I was thinking, okay, I better wrap things up and think about how I'm going to get over there in July for the fall. Um, And then, uh, you know what, our global um, fear-induced event that we had happened around February. And a lot of my daily life was changing for me, you know. I didn't have to do anything that things things were popping up that I'm like okay I don't don't want anything to do with this I don't need to be around um, this sort of talk or negativity and whatnot and so um, I definitely did want to be on my own and so I decided uh, because summer camps were canceled and because things were being pushed off and postponed for the summer that I would take the plunge and ride my bike from Seattle to Gaffney for a total of 3,300 and some odd miles. You rode your bike from Spokane, Washington to Gaffney, South Carolina. That's what you're telling us right now. I attempted. I attempted to ride my bike and all in all, I made it about a thousand miles. So not bad. Yep. And I rode it um, surly, a uh, surly long haul trucker bike. You know, I spent my stimulus check on a bike and I wanted to burn the fuel that I already had in my body. And I wanted to demonstrate what's physically possible. You know, I did try and get some media support, but that was pretty quickly shut down by the NCAA. Um, I was trying to throw a fundraiser so I would have money for a car to follow behind me. And I think the journey would have been totally successful if I did have that car to follow behind me. Um, But at a certain point, it just became too dangerous because I would run out of road or go 100 miles with no shade and no water stops um, and just have to carry that sort of stuff with me. 
which I think that's stuff you learn, you know, along the journey. And I'm happy that I started it and I'll definitely do something like this again. It wasn't a physical, I can't do this. It was sort of a logistical, eh, why am I, why am I risking this when all in all, I'm going to Gaffney to wrestle. You know, I don't want to ruin my chances of being healthy for wrestling. Um, but that's another story. But yeah, it was, I mean, all the people in my life definitely had a hard time digesting it when I said that I wanted to do this. But I'm someone who said, you know, for the past couple of years, I'm trying to figure out how to kayak from Seattle to San Diego. And for instance, I've walked across Europe um, or walk and bus uh, from Norway to Italy in three in a span of three months so like I've planned these big trips before like I'm no stranger to going on an isolated soul journey if you will and so this felt like something that um, could be good for my body good for the environment and good for my mind all in all to prepare me for a my first season of college wrestling like I really just wanted to get prepared for college wrestling and build up my endurance and my strength and now that you're here, what kind of goals do you have in your first year of women's wrestling? You know, I came into this season thinking that it would be a goal of mine to win a match because I've been wrestling for two years now and I still haven't figured out how to win. Um, it's definitely not a matter of physical strength or anything like that, but I finally um, – finally figured out what that ingredient is I think that I've been missing and this is going to be a little bit of a, b a bomb drop here um, but I need to go get bilateral shoulder surgery to repair the rips in my biceps labrum and rotator cuff on both sides of my shoulders that I have not gotten medical treatment for um, and has occurred obviously on campus like shoulder dislocations and whatnot so in going to wrestling practice and being able to wrestle with these very talented young ladies and our coaches, um, Randy Miller, who's an Olympic bronze medalist, and Brandy Green, you know, I've just realized that in order for me to have the best body that I can move in, the best shot at participating in France 2024 wrestling Olympics, um, I'm going to need to pursue this shoulder surgery because I just can't hang on to anything and, you know, keep my shoulder in its socket anymore at this point. So that has become abundantly clear to me at this point. So it's kind of like, wow, I went through all of this to learn that, you know, but it is what it is. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm well aware of, of sh shoulder injuries, seeing how I actually have torn labrums in both of my shoulders, too, from from years of distance swimming um yeah i get the clicks and everything when you when you roll the shoulders and it it, it was something that actually m more or less caused me to stop swimming when i was uh still a collegiate athlete um well we're getting close to wrapping up here um but i wanted to give you a second just to kind of um talk a little bit about anything that you may may want to bring up anything you're passionate about that we haven't gone over yet um, yeah, you know, you talked a little about uh, off air that you're going to end up going for your Ph.D. here eventually um, and, and things like that. Uh, just anything that you want to kind of mention that we haven't brought up yet. Hmm. Well, as somebody with a very vast imagination, it's a little bit hard to 
focus on what I want to talk about, but I guess the thing that comes to mind first is um, to all of our listeners who it's, it's going to be people in the limestone community and who else is listening? I mean, just we put this out everywhere, so yeah. it could be anybody. Wrestling community, could, athletics yeah, exactly. community. You know, I think it's important to focus on why are we college athletes doing this? Why are we here? You know, why sacrifice, if you will, um, your body and your mind to the sort of brut- brutal training that we go through? And um, what are we what are we learning from this as athletes and as people that watch these sports and whatnot? Um, I think with the environment of what's going on in the world, what's going on in our country, this is a time where as individuals sort of demonstrating this huge um, athletic ability and inspiring performance really every day, you know, what what is that for? And I think that's just something that I need to say is, you know, why, why am I here wrestling? Cause I want to win, you know, yes and no. I, I think it's the importance of winning, the importance of wrestling or the importance of showing up every day and working on your sport. It's for a greater purpose. And I think at this time, when we go through massive changes in our globe, Um, changes that have already been happening um, but not acknowledged just like with my shoulders that I mentioned it's like how did I not know that I needed this surgery and it's going to change my life you know at the at the other side of it I'm going to be able to do so many more things and you know participate pain-free to an extent obviously there's lots of work and therapy and and conversations and relationships and you got to be vulnerable and you got to heal and you got to let go of the stuff that hurts you so you know that directly translates to I think what all of us are going through right now as student athletes that just don't know what is to come a lot of people I see out there are still pushing themselves they're still hitting the pavement every day and doing their workouts and then a lot of people are succumbing to depression which is completely understandable and I think we all need to go through that and we need to be sympathetic to each other um, and supportive of each other going through that but then at the end of the day it's like pulling yourself together and realizing who you are as an athlete you know you really are a minority on this planet people that can bike across the United States you know and people that can perform an entire football game or lacrosse game or you know swim like it's not everybody can do this at a competitive level so if you have that kind of skill I just want to say to all the athletes out there that you have power that you couldn't believe so now's the time to transform and embrace a new idea of how can I use this skill in in a new way really I think that's a, a perfect uh, top of the uh, top of the cap there to to round us out. Uh, Eve, we thank you again for for joining us, and this is definitely our longest episode. Again, we mentioned you were passionate, we mentioned you were imaginative, so I think this is this is perfect. But it was definitely engaging for for thirty minutes here. Cool. So again, thank you for joining us. Yeah, thank you, Eve. There was so much that we wanted to get to, and it's okay that it went long, maybe because mm-hmm. we got into a lot of different things, and we love to hear what you had to say. 
right on. Thank you, guys. It was a pleasure. Absolutely. So, again, this is uh, Episode 4, Breaking the Rock Podcast. Make sure that you follow us on golimestonesaints.com backslash podcasts. And also go limestonesaints.com for all our news and notes that you need to know about Limestone University Athletics, as well as subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Spotify.